You are listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Ben Stewart. Well, as Jacob alluded to, my family and I just got back in town. We spent the entire week at a dude ranch in Colorado, uh, way out in the wilds, riding horses, penning cattle, uh, and there were no screens nor was there cell service or internet. So we had a full week without looking one bit at screens and just hanging out. So I gotta tell you, it was fascinating uh, how calming it is to jot just microdose stress all day long through your phones. So I'm gonna assume nothing of note or significance happened here in DC or around the world this week. I know for me, I had an isolated and wonderful time. But as we were out there uh, riding horses and such, uh, we were with uh, several other families, most of them uh, professional athletes and, and their families. And I got to tell you, when there's no screens, what you end up doing is, uh, you know, talking. <laughs> and uh, when you run out of things to say, it gets quiet for a bit until someone has an idea. And then you start talking. And we began to chat and we began to hang out. And I got to tell you something, something about that was so soul restoring for all of us. It's hard to put into words. And at the end, we had a, a moment, a circle, where people were expressing gratitude about that week. And so many of them strained to find the words to talk about how meaningful it was to visit with people, right? to sit and have communion. Right? Now, why do I mention that? Because we've been in this series called Church People, and we're talking about uh, the church of Jesus Christ, that, that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is forging a family together. And we were looking at the book of Acts by saying, hey, there were characteristics of this community that we should look at and by his grace emulate. And one of their deepest characteristics that we saw in this text, and you mentioned it here, that they had fellowship, they had communion, they had a deep intimacy with one another. They were friends. And that was so powerful that it changed the world. Uh, it's interesting. This week was uh, the, the anniversary. It was my dad's birthday. Uh, my dad passed several years ago. I think we got a picture of him uh, up there. Uh, maybe Bobby Ray. There he is. And uh, that's my dad on the left rocking the stash. And you know, there's a lot about this picture that I understand is confusing. What is that mounted on top of the truck? Uh, why are they sitting on the grill of a truck? And listen, we don't have time to get into all that, folks. But I want you to see something that's true about my dad that, you know, for all his flaws in different areas in life, he was great at being friends. And that's him sitting there with one of his good buddies, Johnny Hunter. And uh, those guys could spend hours sitting on the grill of a truck, just looking out at nature and talking about what they see. And uh, C.S. Lewis said it, is there anything better than a group of friends sitting around a fire? Hard to estimate uh, how deeply impactful it can be to commune with one another. We're made for it. We long for it. It, it was interesting, uh, right around these horses, we, I learned about horses. They are communal creatures. When you separate them, they get stressed. Uh, and it's the same with cows. As we were penning cows, we would separate a cow, and they wanted nothing more than to get back to the herd so they could rest. They were peaceful to the degree that they were locked up in their community. And you're that way, and so am I. Uh, if you look at our world today, in the West, we have tended towards individualism, that I want to express my individual desires, values, goals, dreams, etc. And individualism has some good things to it, but it moves us towards isolation. And for many of us, the anxiety we feel is because we don't know the peace and the comfort of being tucked in deeply with a community. 
uh, Tim Keller, the wonderful pastor in New York who recently passed, was asked uh, towards the end of his life to comment on millennials. I know there's a few in here. And uh, he was asked about your, one of your best qualities and then uh, an area of concern he had for you. That was the question they put out in front of him. And he said one of the best things he sees about millennials, particularly in large cities, is he said they have a deep sense of the value of community. They know that it's something important. They know it's something meaningful, something to be desired, something to be prioritized. They want to be deeply woven into connection with other human beings. And then when asked about his concern, he said, it's probably the flip side of that coin. They understand the deep value of community. He said, but my question is, are they willing to do the things you need to do to get it? Yeah. Like stay yeah. in a city for a while and get to know people and stay in a conversation and keep talking and deepen in relationship. They understand the value, but how do we get it? And what's beautiful about when we look at this passage is you've got a community that has it a deep communion with one another. And let me say, I want to talk about this, and I'm coming in hot with this message, by the way. It was really interesting. Yesterday, I uh, realized I got a lot of work to do, and so I grabbed every book on ecclesiology I had in my library, threw it in my car, and drove out to a park, because my children are at home. It's the summer. You can't write anything of value there. So I showed up in this park with this big stack of books, but driving there, I realized, you know what? I got a paragraph about the early church, and then I just started thinking about stories of us. And I realized I got more notes than time. I don't need a single one of these books. I got a great word of God, and I got a great experience with you people. And we're just going to put them together. And my hope is you'll walk out of here seeing the value of community and longing to find it and knowing, understanding how to get into it. But let me say this before we jump in. Some of you may hear this and you go, Ben, a deep longing for community, for connection to be known and loved. That's not really my deal. All right, man, I moved up here by myself because I moved up here to change the world. It's about me changing the world. It's about me with my hands on the wheels of power and I'm driving. I don't really care about all your connectivity and warm, fuzzy stuff. I just want to make a difference. Well, let me tell you something. It's interesting when you look at Jesus Christ, I think whether you believe in him or not, you can say that man demonstrably changed all of human history. And when he was prioritizing what strategy can I use to get my philosophy to span the globe over centuries... He chose 12 men and invested deeply in them. And then a widening community of disciples and followers, he invested deeply in them. So it's that communion that allowed for the biggest impact, right? And for some of you, if you don't care about community, if you want to change the world, you're going to go further together than you will alone. So let's look at it. And the book of Acts, it's talking about Peter in verse uh, 40 and earlier that he had been preaching a message about Jesus. And then in verse 41, it says, those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, it's interesting. The church up until that point under Jesus at this point was maybe 120 people in town. So suddenly it became a church of 3,120, right? And yet, as it begins to describe them, it says in verse 42, the characteristics of the community of Jesus. They were devoted. That word devoted means to move with strength towards something. And they were devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. That word fellowship there is what we're centering on. In Greek, it's the word koinonia. It's where we get the word coin. Uh, it means common. And uh, Ben Witherington says something fascinating about this. He's like, that word communion or koinonia is not necessarily about the experience of, of being deeply known and loved. He says koinonia is the act of sharing. But with the act of sharing something in common creates community. That community is costly. 
that we share, and in the act of sharing stories, experience, service, what happens? As we share with one another, we deepen in communion with one another. So as they shared with each other life, they began to share with each other a deep sense of connection and love, right? And in this passage, it says they moved in strength, they devoted, they prioritized two things, the apostles' teaching, the word of the official emissaries of Jesus, and the act of communing and sharing with one another, and then it specifies breaking of bread and prayers, which we'll get to in a minute. But as you're looking at this community that Jesus Christ forged, one of the first things you see about them is it was rooted in Scripture, that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And I say Scripture because Jesus told his apostles, I'm going to give you my official message And you will speak that truth to others. And we have it bound up in the New Testament that we are a people rooted in the story of what God is doing. And as this early group gathered around, they were unified around the story of what God is doing in humanity. You know, unity is a good, but it's not an ultimate good, right? You can unify around some really bad things. It matters greatly what you unify around. And this passage, these people had great community, but it was grounded in the word of God. They understood how their community fit in the big story, that we are made to connect with one another. It's interesting, Peter's sermon that that prompted this big gathering was about explaining why the spirit of God was moving in power in this community of people. And they understood, hey, this this is ancient. This is rooted deeply in our story. That if you look at the book of Genesis, when God is creating the world, it says the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water, and then God begins to create. That the spirit of God is this intimate presence of God that's animating the world. And then in Genesis chapter 2, when it talks about the creation of humanity, you get God forming man out of dust and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. The word breath is the same word as spirit. That there's an intimate, animating presence of God, the spirit of God, that created the world and then indwells humanity. And you see, in, in, in before sin in Genesis 1 and 2, there's a deep intimacy between man and his God. And then in Genesis 2, you get a not good. God created everything perfect, but pre-fall, God sees one thing that's not good, the man alone. And some people read that and go, alone? He's with God. It's the perfect quiet time, 24 hours a day. And you go, no, our God is Trinity, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. The Bible says we have one God who's three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that they love each other. That's how you get a God that's love. How can God be love? Because there's three distinct personalities caring for one another, celebrating one another, building one another up, that God intrinsically within himself is a party. And God invites humanity into that party. So man is a singular monad. It says, that's not good for you to just be a cul-de-sac of my grace. You're meant to be a conduit of it. And so God creates the woman. And what happens? The two of them celebrate being united together in relationship with their God and with each other. This is how we're made to be. Delight was deep communion with God and deep communion with the other. And the tragedy of the garden in Genesis 3 is that when we broke faith with God, it also broke the relationships. That God says, now your relationship will be complicated maritally, but then in your family. I mean, you look at the first two kids they had, Cain and Abel, one killed the other. You think your family's dysfunctional. And some of you think that isolates you from the rest of us. I'm so embarrassed about my uncle. The first family, one murdered the other. That's a horrible story. And yet for all of us, that's where we are. After sin, fracture. Fracture relationally with God and with one another. And then it's interesting, as you follow Genesis, you get the genealogy, you know, the parts you usually skip unless you're looking for baby names. 
Why does it break into the first genealogy? It wants to show you seven generations down from the garden what happens. And as they move seven generations down, you get a man named Lamech, and what does he do? He exploits women sexually, and he physically is violent towards young men. That you see, when we break communion with God, we break communion with each other, and women lose, and boys lose. Men, women, children, we lose a deep fracturing. And yet, through the Old Testament, the whispers begin to come through the prophets that one day the wind of God will blow again. The intimate, animating presence of God will come again. The Spirit will link us together as a family and link us as a family to God. That's the whisper of the prophets. And then our prophet Isaiah says, and it will be the seed of Jesse, the son of David, a special boy, the Messiah, who will bring the wind back, that intimacy with God and with one another. And so in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit begins to move again, after Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross to move sin out of the way, he brought his spirit back into his people, and the church of Christ was born, and the spirit lit the flame. That that was Peter's first sermon. The Savior has come, Jesus Christ, to remove our sin, reconnect us with God, and to fill us with his spirit. And that's why in Jerusalem, he says, they're asking, what's going on with you guys? And they're like, It's happening. What we lost in the garden is now coming back to us again, a deep union with God and a deep union with one another. And this early community understood that, that we are linked to a bigger story. We're not just people that happen to join the same club. We are knit together by a holy God for his purposes. That's powerful. And so if God went through all of that to knit us together, we're going to prioritize this. This is going to be a value for us. And it's interesting, that's what you see as it points out, not just that they were rooted in the scriptures and understood their story, that they knit themselves together with it with sacraments, sacred moments that showed, I'm a part of this. You get that in the language in verse 41. It says, those who received his word were baptized. And they were added to that day, about 3,000 souls. And then in verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The breaking of bread there could mean they had meals together, right? Which was a normal thing to do. But that's a weird way to say meals together. But not if you've read Luke and Acts, because they're together as a book. And in Luke, Jesus, when he was saying what he was about to do on the cross, he pictured it through a meal. He broke this bread and says, this is my body that's about to break for you. And then he handed them a glass of wine and says, this is my blood being put out for a new covenant with you. And he made this meal symbolic of their association with me. And so here, when they took this meal, it was just eating together. They did that in homes, it says later. But he was talking about, no, I'm associating myself with Jesus. That when he died, it accomplished something for me. When he shed his blood, it accomplished something for me. And then they were baptized. Baptism back then was a picture because it came in the book of Luke. Luke talks about when Jesus was baptized, before he began his earthly ministry, he went into the water as a sign of consecration to God. And in that moment, as he went under the water and rose again, It says the heavens opened. God said, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit descended upon him, right? And in the early church, they understood when I associate myself with Jesus, that's where I am. I'm in the water with him. I'm standing with Jesus who died for me. God is now calling me my child in whom he's well pleased. The spirit of God is now resting on me. I'm knit together with that communion, that party of God I am now a part of. And then you'd walk out of the water and join the family. And so they understood, hey, you know what? I'm not just part of a social club. I'm knit together into a deep community that God's created, and I'm going to make it a priority, that this is something sacred. So they went through this sacred symbol of baptism, which we're going to do in a couple weeks, to say, hey, I'm associated with this community. And they would take communion together, like our volunteers did earlier today, to show, hey, and we're associated with this community because of what Jesus Christ did, right? 
And so they prioritized that they're part of a family. And let me tell you something, we are meant to live this way. And it takes a prioritization to say, no, this is something God is building, so I'm gonna value it. Uh, Paul said it this way to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2. Through Christ, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers or aliens. You're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That grounded in his scripture, celebrated through sacrament, they understood this is a priority, this people group. If Christ died for it, I'm gonna value it. So let me tell you something. I could give a talk on relationships and talk about how much you need friends and isn't life better when you have friends? And most of you would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe you do it, maybe you wouldn't. But what I'm saying here is what Jesus Christ purchased was something deeper than that, something more elemental, a deep unity with God and with his people centered around the savior of the world, Jesus Christ. It's, it's easier to value the people of God when you understand what Jesus did to accomplish this, to purchase this. He bought an us. And one of the greatest ways to love and honor him is to value in us, to be deeply knit together in a church. Uh, Christine Emba, who's a writer for the Washington Post, was quoted in Gene Twenge's new book, Generations, where every chapter is uh, evaluating the generations that are alive today and showing where we're similar and where we're very different. So if you love generational controversy, Gene Twenge's book, Generations. But Christine Emba says this about her generation, millennials, and their waning interest in religion. She notes... We still want relationships and transcendence to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. But some of us are turning to convenient, low-commitment substitutes for faith and fellowship. Astrology, the easy spiritualism of yoga and self-care. And here's what really worries me. Few of these activities are as geared towards building deep relationships and communal support as the religious traditions millennials are leaving behind. Isn't that fascinating? She says, we know we want it but are we willing to do what it takes to get it? And here God gave everything to purchase a family. And he says, prioritize that family. You were made for this. Like horses, like cows, you were made to be in a herd. <laughs> and you won't be fully you without an us, the Bible says, right? So we make it a priority. Incidentally, that's something we did here uh, at Passion City Church. Early on, as we were preparing to launch, um, we would meet in community groups. I don't know if you know this, but that was really before we did Sundays. We would meet weekdays, and I would teach people through books of the Bible, but we sat them at tables. We still do community groups, by the way. But we would sit them around tables because we knew people need to make a connection with each other. This isn't gonna be a cult of personality built on one guy. It's gonna be built on the word of God and built on the relationships of people who share with one another their experience. But it was fascinating because we'd meet around tables. I would teach for a few minutes and then lob out a question for people to talk about. Teach for a few minutes and then lob out a question. And my early questions at the beginning of the night would be something like, what's your favorite restaurant in town? Go. And people would talk about it, blah, blah, blah. And then as I'd read the Bible, I'd be like, hey, what's your deepest struggle in life? I mean, I wouldn't go right to that next. But, you know, we would sort of deepen in like, what's something you need prayer for? What's something you're concerned about? That sort of thing. And I had multiple people. It was a regular thing. We had just come to town. We were just starting these community groups. Maybe 100 people come to church. I would have people come up to me afterwards and say, hey, man, I got to tell you, when, when you put us in tables and then said we were going to talk about our feelings, I remember one girl came up to me and she said, my first thought was, this dude doesn't get DC. He's asking us to share what we're worried about. You don't show weakness here. <laughs> and she said, then the craziest thing happened. She said, somebody started sharing about their experience and something in me needed to hear that. 
She said, and then something crazier happened. I heard myself start to talk about mine. And she said, it was like I was dying of thirst but didn't know it until you set a glass of water in front of us. I'm coming back here. And I had several people say that. I'm coming back here. And we grew around tables, around community, which is why we still do meetups and community groups because you were made for this, right? That, that I'm made for a deep sense of communion. And it's in places like this, these sacred moments that we can develop with one another spiritually. Notice they broke bread together and the prayers, that, that they would pray for each other. So it's not just they would get around and talk about TV shows and things like that. That's fine to do with your friends. But they understood, no, this is a spiritual connectivity. And God is linking us back up because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So when we pray for each other, what happens? You're sharing with me your wounds and your pain and your hurt. And then we're taking it to God together. And we're just closing the gaps. The gap between God and the gap between each other, that, that feeling of isolation, Christ reconnected us and we're just leaning into that and saying, let's together go to God and talk about our problems, talk about our concerns, knowing that we have permission to step into front of him and do that. It's interesting, as I was looking through, back through old pictures this week, I kept finding old pictures of our church, and I was talking about, you know, we just did our recent uh, five-year birthday of meeting on Sundays, and I was thinking about people that were like, man, I was there from the earliest days. I was there at the very beginning. And you go, well, what was the beginning? What do you mean by that? And some may go, well, Ben, it was the worship nights. Remember, we did one at Lincoln. I think we got a picture of these. We did one at Lincoln. We did one at National Theater, where a bunch of people came. We brought out a band, brought out concerts. We had a big worship night. I remember I was there. And if you were there, that's awesome. That wasn't the start, these worship nights. You go, somebody go, yeah, no. If you really know, I was there at the vision nights, places like the Blind Wino. We'd show up there, speaking with two big lion heads, looking like they're about to eat you. Or some go, no, no, no. Before that, Ben, there were the interest meetings. Remember, and there was just 200 of us slammed into this little hallway, and you go, Ben, that was the early days. And you go, no, actually, that wasn't even our first gathering. It wasn't. Keep going, would you? Community groups? Yeah, we started those early. But even that wasn't the beginning. So where did this start? How did we all get here? Let me show you. It started there. With a group of people surrounding Donna and I to pray. Next slide. Started there. With Pastor Louie and Shelly praying over us to send us. And really in D.C., it started right there group of people kneeling in a living room, begging God to move. This thing is built on prayer, on coming to God and saying, God, will you do something in the city bigger than all of us? Will you do something bigger than what we could accomplish on our own? Can you close the gap? What's beautiful about the early church here, it said, is they did that, as they were meeting and breaking bread together and praying together, it says in the next verse, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. The apostles were producing miracles to authenticate the message, which we're praying God to do miraculous things among us. But notice before that, it says, and awe came upon every soul, even before the miracles. That a sense of, of reverent fear of God is on the move here was happening in people. And what was great for me is as we've started this church, I've noticed that as we valued this, hey, God is knitting together a community. I remember in the earliest days meeting there at Howard, the funniest thing would happen. So many different people were, were exploring their faith and watching Christians love each other and serve. And I had this repeated conversation with people where they would come up to me and say, hey, I like it here. I'm going to tell my mother. I'm like, okay. And I had like three or four people in a row tell me that. I'm bringing my mother to this. Okay, and I didn't understand what are they saying? And what I realized is they didn't have spiritual language like I'm really being fed by the word. They didn't know things like that. They just knew God was doing something and they knew when a relationship feels like it has some momentum, you have to invite the parents in at some point. 
And so they were just going like, man, something's happening. And they would come up to me and say, I'm bringing my mom. And I'd go, okay, I think we're ready. I think we're ready. Let's do it. I'm, I'm ready. And uh, people just said, hey, something's happening here. I want to be a part of this. And I think that's pretty cool. We were serving at Love DC at the House DC and, and painting rooms. And, and uh, one of our door holders here, volunteers, we were in, uh, painting in this room. And towards the end of the conversation, he just said, hey, man, I got to tell you. He said, I'm an introvert. I sat, you know, kind of in the back by myself, slip in and out at church. He said, then I just got convicted. I'm not really involved here. He said, so I'm just told God I'm going to give you a year. Yes. I'm just going to say yes. When they're on stage saying, you should come to this, I'll go, yes. Even though the introvert in me was like, no. He's like, I, I did it. And he said, I noticed something wild as I began to hang out here. It's like, DC is a city you come, use, and then leave. He said, and I started to meet people who came here to use the city, met the deepest community they'd ever known, and chose to stay. And he said, it was weird. He said that this place is literally writing a different story. It's a counterculture. He said, I want to be a part of that. And let me tell you something. That's what changed ancient Rome. That's, that's part of how the church grew. How, how did this little persecuted club dominate an empire and then dominate uh, right now? It's the prevailing philosophy on the planet. How did that happen? Well, it happened because a counterculture was formed of people who deeply loved each other and deeply cared, right? And it was a spiritual community that served each other. Notice in verse uh, 44 and 45, and all who believed were together, they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings, distributing proceeds to all as any had need. They were supporting and helping one another. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago financially, but there was all kinds of support structure in that community. That's part of why they could flourish, is they could lean on each other in times of need. I remember when I first started in ministry, I was a youth pastor, and, and I had just a handful of kids. And I remember I would take them out, and our early retreats had like five kids. And many of them were coming to understand the Bible, coming to understand who Jesus was, saying, I want Jesus, I want to follow him, I want to walk with him. But then they would get into uh, school, and the peer pressure was just so hard for them to stay faith. People would make fun of them for their faith. I remember there was one young girl, she was um, uh, a cheerleader, came to faith in Christ, and, and uh, man, wanted to walk with him. And then they got a new cheerleading coach who wanted to uh, incorporate uh, more overtly sexualized movements into their uh, uh, routines. I will not demonstrate them for you. I'm saying to myself as much as to y'all, because part of me was about to, I'm like, nope, they don't need to know. You don't need to know. And I don't need to do it. Anyway, so she was wrestling with that. And I wasn't counseling her through that. We had ladies in our ministry that was helping her process some of that. But I remember just on a separate note, some kids had asked me to come to their pep rally for their high school. And so I showed up at the pep rally, not understanding it was an intersection with this critical moment where she was trying to decide, do I bow to this cultural, sexual uh, experience or not? And uh, sure enough, I sit down front and center right as she's out there uh, about to do this dance. And there was all kinds of gyrations that uh, I just remember her looking up at me and just her face going white as a sheet. And it was like... I don't want to be a part of this either, you know, just sort of, uh, but we had to process later that for her, she was like, man, I wanted to, I didn't want to uh, do those things with my body in front of these people, but I felt like I didn't have a choice. The peer pressure was so strong and I wasn't judging this girl. I just, for me, that was a moment where I realized, man, I can teach them individually about Jesus and they put their faith in him, but if they're really going to walk with integrity and peace in their soul, they need a support structure. They need to have a, a community that can deeply support each other. And you need that. 
And individually, many of you say, hey, I love God, I wanna know God, I'm seeking God, but it can be very hard when you feel like you're doing that on your own. And what made this early community so strong is that they needed each other and they leaned on each other, they supported each other, they were there for one another. Uh, it's fascinating, I, I, uh, years ago, you know, I grew up, I used to go hunting with my dad and um, it, it, they were, it was a wonderful community, but it wasn't like a deeply spiritual community, right? And uh, so after my dad passed, years later, I remember my brother and I, one of my daddy's buddies invited us to, uh, to go hunting with him and we showed up at this hunting lease uh, with the guy who owned the place. And it was really weird for me to show up there and the guy had heard my sermons. Sermons were not discussed in Ben's early uh, hunting experience. And this guy was like, hey, we've been listening to sermons. I'm like, what? And like, he wants to talk about Jesus. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble like connecting all these dots. This is kind of wild. But anyway, we start to do that. And uh, he had brought a bunch of buddies uh, that were uh, Vietnam veterans. And I had a buddy that was currently active in the military. And as we began to talk, it, it wasn't like an organized retreat. There wasn't worship and then a prayer time, that sort of thing. But obviously, spirituality came up early by the nature of my position. But then as we talked in the midst of that context, we were sitting around the fire and sitting around in, at meals. Uh, these old guys started asking this young guy what it was like to be active in the military, modern military. And he's telling them stories about how things work now. And as he did that, they started talking about how things worked back then. And these guys started telling stories and one of them flew a helicopter and he was talking about like, man, I flew into this and doing that and telling all these stories. And then as he did it, he got more animated as we were all with him. And he was like, man, I'll tell you what, I would fly into these hot LZs and they said we were all on drugs. He's like, we didn't have time to do drugs in Vietnam. We were there saving lives. We were doing it. And he was kind of went off for a while and we didn't have time for drugs. We were saving lives. And as soon as he was done, the guy next to him goes, well, I was high every day in Vietnam, Bob. <laughs> And we all laugh like that, like this is wild. And we just had this conversation together, just sat for hours and talked. Months later, I run into one of these old dudes that had put the thing together. And he came up to me and was like, Ben, you're not gonna believe what happened. I said, what? He said, the guy that put this thing together got a call from one of the guy's wives. And she said, what'd you do? He says, what do you mean? She said, what did you do? She said, I got my husband back. She said for years, he, he just had been uh, distant, emotionally disconnected. And he came home present, came home caring. I got him back. And then she's crying saying, what did y'all do out there? And the guy looked at me and said, what did we do? And the answer is we did this. That, that God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, community is costly forged a family. And as we meet together in community, what happens? We share and we support. That I can bring my burdens. That, that's Christianity. I bring my burdens to the Lord. And I'm not shamed. I'm restored. And as we process with one another, there's deep healing that can occur. This is the beauty of the family. Uh, out here at the Dude Ranch, I know I keep mentioning it, but I was just there. So <laughs> we would get to sit and talk for hours. And I remember the, the last night I was sitting at dinner with a uh, a brother, and we were just talking about black church, white church, multi-ethnic church, his experience as a black man and all those. And I know when I say that, even say those sentences, some people feel tension, like, oh my gosh, is, was there like a... And you go, we were laughing the whole time. Now, that doesn't mean everything we were talking about was funny. I mean, it was a serious conversation. But because there was deep trust, because we had spent time together, we could talk about deep things, and we could laugh, and we could learn. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. 
many of us want that deeply. I'll tell you, for me, one of my favorite things about uh, this place is that my staff are friends. I love that they're friends with each other. Just a couple weeks ago, I was encouraging one of them to go on vacation, and she took half the staff with her. And I was like, that's not really what I had in mind, but I'm not going to contest it. I think it's a good thing. I think it's great. Uh, And I remember we all went on a retreat together to New York early on because, you know, shared experience and shared stories is what builds community. And so we just went to go have a shared experience and share stories. And we sat around meals and talked. And then as just kind of a wild hair at the end, I thought, let's go to the Harry Potter store because they have this VR exercise, put goggles on and ride a broom around Hogwarts. And I was like, I don't know if adults are going to want to do this. This could be a bomb, but I'm just going to try it. And so we split them up into these little VR things. About 10 of them could go at a time. And I remember Elizabeth on our team and I were just standing out waiting for them. And they all emerged from these rooms giggling like school children. (laughs) And I started to hear the different stories of what was going on. And in one of them, uh, where you've like put on the goggles and ride brooms, when you get in there, you have to pick your avatar, what your character looks like when you're in the VR world. And uh, one of our staff members who's black told everybody else, if you don't pick the black one, you're racist. (laughs) So they all picked the black character and then they put their goggles on and she had picked the white one. (laughs) And as soon as I got in there, her first thing was, so this is what it feels like. <laughs> and they were like, what? And then, you know, they're flying around Hogwarts, causing trouble, shooting each other with, you know, wands and whatnot. And uh, they are laughing so hard. And uh, at the end of it, they take the goggles off and they have little people in the room helping you so you don't fall off your broom and whatnot. And uh, one of them asks, who are you people? <laughs> they're like, what? They're like, who are y'all? And they're like, well, we work together. We're on a church staff. And this employee looked over at the other ones and said, can you imagine enjoying your coworkers like that? Which is pretty cold-blooded because she's talking to a coworker. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, this is what Christ is building. I mean, we all got friends. Friendship is a common grace for all of humanity, but there's something deeper when you go, man, but this is rooted in in the Godhead. A triune God has knit us together. That means we come from different places. We come with different experiences. We come with different baggage. We come with different hurt. But what happens when we come around each other? We understand this is sacred. This is rooted in our deep story of scripture. And this is a spiritual thing. So we're praying together. We're interceding for each other. We're not just gonna talk about how our day went. That's fine. But we're also gonna talk about what God is doing in our souls. We're gonna go to deeper places. And as we do that, we support each other. We build each other up. We become something better, right? And we need that. And it's deeply social. That's the cost that's so different in our world today. Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. They would meet in the temple. That that was their public face where they would go out and meet with anybody in the community. It's kind of a lot of what we're doing here on Sundays. And then they would meet at home and break bread, which means they were eating meals together, lingering over the table and uh, talking and sharing. And notice in that place, they didn't just complain. They talked together with, with glad hearts, generous hearts. They would sit around and celebrate what God was doing. You eat with people you like. I mean, think about yourself at your work. Uh, Many of you, when you choose to eat a meal, you ask someone you want to get to know better or you eat alone. But we tend to eat with people we like because you know over the meal, we will commune with each other. 
And here, day by day, they were meeting together. That's why we do community groups. That's why we're doing these meetups. That's why we do family groups. That's why we prioritize all this midweek stuff in homes, in your neighborhoods, so we can commune with each other, so we can share our life story. I have a friend who's a great cook. He's an award-winning cook. And I remember one day being with him at his restaurant. I worked with him for years. And we were out there at the restaurant. I remember we were looking out over this room filled with people. He, had, he purposely kept it small, and uh, there'd be a long line, a wait for hours for people to get in, trying to get a table. And we were looking around at all these people visiting, and I'll never forget, he looked over at me, this man who had perfected some different recipes, and he goes, you know, Ben, everything I cooked will be in the toilet in a couple hours. Which, if you know him, that's how he talked, but I'm like, gross. And he goes, do you know why we do this? He said this. And he just made me stop and look at the room, how much they were laughing and talking and lingering. And he said, this is what matters. The food is a means to an end of deepening community. And that was the early church. We're gonna meet together in meals. Why? So we can deepen with one another relationally, right? Um, One of my least favorite aspects of the pandemic was preaching to a camera by myself. I don't know if you've ever done it. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, We would go to the EDM club, and I would be alone, except me and the camera guy. And uh, I would just preach to him. Didn't know if he was saved or not. And I was like, I'm coming for you, camera guy. And uh, and other people will watch and hopefully not be too upset. You know, it was a very tense time. Uh, But one of my favorite moments from the pandemic, uh, we did a wedding for uh, Taylor and Eric, uh, Taylor uh, on our staff, and... um, you know, we had to do it in the backyard. You know, her dad walked her down the aisle on a laptop. You know, it was the early days of uh, the pandemic. But I'll never forget, as we were setting up to do this backyard wedding, across the street, uh, I watched this old man walking up to this window. First story window, but it's about right here. And I watched him walk up to this window. And as he did it, the window opened up, and this other old man just sat down at the window. And this old guy popped open his lawn chair, sat down, cracked open a beer, and the two of them just chatted. And I was like, I don't know their thing, but I just know that they were like, okay, we can't be together, but we're going to find a way to be together. Yeah. I thought, that's kind of cool, man. Uh, meanwhile, in the backyard, we did this little wedding ceremony. You know, with, at the time, there could only be a handful of people, like five, six people there. We did this little wedding. And I remember as soon as I pronounced the man and wife, we heard an eruption of cheers. And we looked up, and it was people who had been watching from all their row home windows, like in the alley and on the sides. And we're like, who we don't even know you guys, right? But everyone was so desperate for a win, you know, <laughs> that people started like lowering bottles of wine down from upstairs. <laughs> I kid you not. And it was like the longing for connection, so strong that to even see it among strangers, people were losing their minds, right? So excited about the depth of community. And like, you know what? That's, that's what God built here. That Jesus Christ, when, when, when Paul read Genesis 2, he said, that's Christ in the church. That's what that is. That Jesus Christ knit together with himself a bride, his family. And whatever he needed to do, whatever boundary he needed to cross to bring us back together into relationship with God and each other, he did it. If I have to live the perfect life on earth, I'm living it. If I have to die on the cross for their sin, I'm dying. If I have to be buried in the grave for their condemnation, bury me in the dirt. And if I get to rise victorious to usher the spirit of God back to build a spiritual house, watch me. 
breathe on them and say, receive the Holy Spirit. That community is costly, and Jesus paid the cost to forge in us. Now, for us, salvation is free, but community is an investment, and you tend to get out of it what you put into it. So I want to encourage you, have some buddies, but be a part of an us, whether it's this church or a different one. Make sure it's one that's rooted in the scripture, the word of God, that you step into understanding this is sacred, that I'm being brought into union with God and other people because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it's a spiritual movement. Yes, we'll talk about shallow things, pickleball and whatnot. It can't all be serious, but we are gonna pray for one another. It's a spiritual movement we're a part of. And we're gonna support each other. I'm gonna kick in with a listening ear. I'm gonna kick in with a lingering over the table. I'm gonna kick in with helping meet your needs as you have them. And I'm gonna do it because I understand we are shaped socially, that as we linger at the table, as we visit with one another day by day, what happens? What happened then, I promise is happening now. People will see it and daily be added to our number. When people see real authentic community, especially in a community starved day like ours, they will be drawn into it. And what I love about the gospel, what Jesus Christ was building, is it was a deep community, but it wasn't an exclusionary one. They found a way to deeply support each other, but always leave the door open for the other. So there's some people here that have found their best friends. They're forged into a family. And there's some of you that are guests or saying, man, that must be nice. The beauty of the gospel is as Jesus was forging this community, it was one that always had an open door to more. And so I don't know if you've ever put your faith in Jesus Christ, but that's the entry fee. It's not money, it's not signing a piece of paper. It's saying if Jesus Christ is forging a family, I wanna be a part of it. If he paid first with his precious blood to bring me into a relationship with God, I accept that free gift. And then I'm gonna invest into the community he built. Because I know when I do that, it won't end up costing me. I'll end up gaining, gaining support, gaining love, and gaining significance because I'm knit together with the greatest of all communities for the greatest of all causes. Back out at the dude ranch, last time I promised you. We had a meal out in these aspen trees. I don't know anything about aspen trees, but Donna was telling me that right under the surface, all their roots tangle together and they support each other. That's why there's always a grove of aspen trees and they're strong because they're bound up together. And let me tell you something. I think God is just beginning his work he wants to do with Passion City, D.C. And I know God is working all over the globe, but our strength will come to the degree that we are deeply knit together by his grace. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, Thanks for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.